The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra, and my pronouns are she, hers, and we. I'm Safa Master, and my pronouns are him, his, and we. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers. Okay, what are we drinking today? Uh, I made it up. We're going to call it Sex on the Couch. With good reason. Yes, because we just had <laughs> Sex on the Couch. That's right. It's beautifully orange colored. It is. It's right? lovely, yeah. So it's equal parts gin to Aperol. Okay. And so basically I did two ounces of gin, two ounces of Aperol. And then I stirred it first in a mixing tin to get it cold. Then I poured it over an ice ball. Actually, before that, I added four shakes because we are making two drinks, four shakes of orange bitters. And then I poured it over the ice ball and then cut just a small lemon peel, not even a curl, just a peel, and then rubbed the rim and expressed if I could anything and then put it into the drink. Nice. Yes. It's It's a beautiful drink. It's a beautiful color. It really is. It smells good. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. You know, Aperol is like a really cool mixer. It does a lot of things. It does a lot of things. You get the orange, you get the sweet for free almost. Like yeah. it's kind of a, you could add it to a lots of things. Mm. It's a very pleasant drink. Yeah. This is good. I like it. Me too. Today's conversation is brought to you by WeMinder a behavior chart app for kinky couples like us. Learn more at weminder.app. You know, I love just perusing what people are thinking about in the kink universe. Right. And I ran across this article that Glassgirl wrote about just the dangers of withholding orgasm and what the implications are. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's an interesting conversation that we've never had before. Right. And so with that, I want to welcome you, Glasgow. Welcome to the conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's our pleasure. We're delighted you're here. Hey, you know, we always begin our pod by inviting you to share your journey as a sexual creature. So tell us about how you discovered yourself as a sexual creature and how things have evolved for you over time. Well, I think maybe like many, like teenagehood, I was kind of wild in my youth. And had a lot of experience in my late teens and early 20s. And then got married and things went dormant for a very long time. And it's only been in the last probably six or seven years that I've been able to 
explore this side of myself again. Okay. Okay. So like, you know, finding your sexuality as, you know, young teenager, early twenties, that kind of thing. I get that. Yeah. But then like, what were you exposing yourself to? Like if you're talking about kink or fetishes. Oh, I see what you're saying. Fill in the blanks for that transition. For sure. Well, the man that I married, amazing man, turned out to be asexual. So my sex life kind of went dwindled over the years as our marriage went on. And we developed more of a platonic existence like together. And so that's where we are now. He's my platonic nesting partner. And that's allowed me, you know, to begin to really explore elements of my sexuality and bisexuality that I hadn't been able to explore before. And I started looking online for different kinks that I was into and started doing researching and discovered fat life. And that's where it really kind of took off for me as far as exploring and engaging. I got an in touch with the local community, went to play parties and the local dungeon and met people. And it's just kind of grown from there. I started, I'm a writer and I started exploring that in writing as well with erotica and as well as like lifestyle writing. And that's been a, a whole new element of my journey is being able to share kind of what goes on in this head of mine, <laughs> you know, in print. Got it. Okay. So I'm curious, what are you actually into? What did you explore in the world of kink? Oh, gosh. It might be easier to ask what I'm not into. <laughs> I I would say that service submission really speaks to me. I'm a submissive. I enjoy DDLG, so caregiver and little dynamics. I'm a masochist, so I enjoy all sorts of different types of pain play. I enjoy mind fucks, and there's not too much that's off my list as far as things that I enjoy. Interesting. It sure is interesting. So when you are involved, are you involved with one partner or many partners? And then how does that work as a service submissive? Because our experience, because, you know, we live in a 24-7 and it's absolutely a TPE and Lady Petra is my service submissive. And it's really a full-time occupation in many ways. So how does it work for you in your that setup. Well, currently I don't have a partner that I'm exploring kind of doing those roles with. My last daddy and I, our dynamic ended about a year ago and we were in a total power exchange TPE for almost two years. And prior to that, it was much more, I wouldn't say so much server submission ongoing as it was just in scene. Um, and I had play partners, so it was much more casual. So he was really my first foray into into complete power exchange and then, you know, service submission and what that felt like with him. So because your uh, husband is your nesting partner and I get all that because we have lots of those people in our life that are just like, they are part of our lives, even if they're not part of our sexual life. Yes. So bravo to you for finding a place for your partner and you to exist. However, the dominant you're speaking of, was he in the same city or would you have to travel to him? No, it was real. Did he live with you? I lived with him for about three months. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And then it was on, it, but it that was nearing the end. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because this is fascinating because you're not alone in this. We talk to people all the time who have kinks or they're into certain things and their partner isn't, but their partner's supportive. So how do you navigate that with nesting partner? You know, you have agreements about uh, we're going to see other people or whatever, but then, you know, then it really happens. Yes, exactly. Well, he doesn't see anyone. He prefers not to engage in dating or being with anyone at all. So that's kind of a moot point as far as like what he does. As far as myself, it's not kitchen table poly in the sense that he wants to meet everyone or no details. He just, you know, wants to know where I'm going and what I'm up to. That's pretty much 
that's pretty much it. It's pretty low key. Got it. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. You know, there's all kinds of ways to be. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the reason that I reached out to you was because you had written that provocative piece on orgasm control. So let's talk about that because that's a very interesting conversation. Yes. You know, as a couple in a 24-7 power exchange, our context is that her orgasms belong to me. Like that's what's so. But that's fine because she has plenty of orgasms. But, you know. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But there are circumstances where orgasms are denied. And so it's a very hot scene to have orgasm denial as part of a power exchange. But, you know, you wrote about what happens when that goes wrong. So why don't you speak to that? Where do I begin? I think I think that it's, it's a orgasm control, denial, edging, all kind of those aspects, that vein of that type of kink, I found very hot. And I loved the idea of having to ask for permission. I loved the idea of asking for permission for almost everything, but especially that. And he had rules around, you know, if I was allowed to orgasm and he wasn't there present, there were rules around what kind of things I could use, you know, like his voice or videos of us or images of us, that kind of thing for orgasm. So it wasn't just the permission, the kind of input, what I was allowed to use to kind of stimulate that if I needed it was only him as well. And I think after a, a long time of being together, or you know, for the length of time that we were together, when that ended, basic, it's basically like my mind was trained. It was, it was trained to only come for him. And I didn't realize, I mean, I'm fairly, I like to think of myself as fairly risk aware. I love to research, I love to read, I love to educate myself. And because I, especially on, you know, a place like FetLife or even in porn or other things that you read, orgasm denial, to me at the time, it seemed so benign. Like it seemed like something that, you know, you could have fun and play with. Um, And I hadn't read of there being any risks or consequences from playing that way. And unfortunately, when our dynamic ended, I was unable to orgasm without the sensory input of either him, his voice, or, you know, him in context, basically. And um, it's been a real struggle. So that is very similar because we're playing with hypnokink yeah. to conditioning and suggestion. So I get it. When I was, before I met Saffir, I was exploring my sexuality on various chat rooms before I even discovered Fet Life and happened upon a dominant that I actually was in an online experience for over a year. And I remember, yeah, it got intense because I think your mind plays into it too. You're conditioning yourself. And so, you know, I could come on command basically. So now it didn't happen overnight. It took quite a while, but it was happening. And then I remember after I cut that dynamic off, there was a little bit of a lull like you're speaking to. When I read your piece, I was thinking, oh, I hate that someone can't have orgasms, you know, like when they want them, especially in your situation that you're no longer in that dynamic. You know, I would encourage you since you were able to be in that space with him, which means you're able to be conditioned and you're able to be suggestible. You may explore professional, of course, not someone to take advantage of you, but professional hypnosis Mm -hmm. to find a new trigger for you that is a 
trigger, like you trigger yourself, which allows you to have access to that again. So that the control is no longer there. Mm, That's a good, I I mean, I have thought about, I mean, I I currently have a therapist who is, is kink and BDSM friendly and positive and, and really does understand the elements of power exchange. And then she's been a gift because it's hard to find. I, I think it's, it's been a challenge to find a therapist who is not only open to the idea, but also is knowledgeable about it. The hypnotherapy is a good idea. I can certainly, and I think I said in my piece that, you know, arousal is something I can do on my own now before I I would have to think of him to even be turned on. But orgasms are still dependent on him for sure. Well, what's great about this too, with your past being conditioning evident, obviously, and then, which means you're probably pretty able to be suggestible too, which None of this is uh, taking any power from you. My hypnokink doesn't take any power from me. But what's wonderful about the exploration of this is you can find a trigger that works for you. And because you're already having arousal, which is the key, like if you're having nothing, that may be a different place, but you're having arousal. So they can help you find triggers that go with the arousal that will help you get over the edge. And it could be magic for you because it's it's obviously taken us. We use it for different means, mm-hmm. but it's taken us into a, like a whole, I guess people refer to as a kind of a tantric uh, Kundalini kind of energy play where we can go zero to 60 very quickly at the beginning of a scene so that we're in energy play the whole time. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that must be beautiful. <laughs> Yes, it, we just finished a scene, so we're like still uh, <laughs> subbing out right now. <laughs> or at least I'm subbing out right now. Still high. Yeah. So the thing that I'm kind of curious about is because, you know, sexual arousal is a physical phenomenon and you're having arousal. Yes. And then the path to climax, that's more of a mental exercise that, you know, where you get to take physical arousal. And normally people associate with a fantasy to get to a place where orgasm is possible. And you've had this conditioning experience where the only thing you're allowed to focus on is elements of your dynamic with this person. Yes. But there's nothing to stop you from doing that now. You can still do that. Oh, there is. Absolutely. And there's there's certain times where, of course, I you know get desperate enough that that happens. It's just, it's painful. The... The ending of our dynamic was very difficult and there were aspects, without going into too much detail, there were aspects of our dynamic that weren't very healthy. And so it can be really, you know, it can be hot in the moment to think about it, but afterwards there's a lot of emotion that comes with reliving some of those experiences. Sure. I get that. Yeah. I get that. You know, in your writing, you talked about rack. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Risk aware, consensual kink. It speaks to me more than safe, sane and and consensual. I think because I I sometimes ask myself, well, what is sane? Like who defines that? And so rack for myself, it it just resonated more with the way that I do kink, which is I tend to research first. I want to know what I'm getting into completely before I consent to it. And informed consent, basically, is really important to me. Got it. Yeah. So the other part that's tags along this without prying too much into personal, but maybe you can be somewhat 10,000 foot view of this, because there are a lot of people at all points in their life. It, it's not like we're all discovering we're kinksters only when we're 20 or in our <laughs> late teens. And quite frankly, like you spoke to people getting caught into relationships that are um, like marriage and things 
that go a different direction. So we have these hiatuses, if you will. Yes. But what would you say to a submissive when they're seeking a dominant based on what you've learned about yourself, but in a broader scope, you know, what would be recommended to transpire when you're investigating? Is this the right person for me? Mm, I think I know that when I, I might answer this in a roundabout way, but when I discovered FET and started connecting with people, someone warned me about frenzy and, you know, frenzy being like this, you've, you know, basically you're a kid in the candy store and you see all these amazing things that you've kind of fantasized about and you want to try everything like right, right now, like, and it, it kind of blows caution to the wind and you don't necessarily think about consequences or how risky things might be. And that was certainly my experience you know, when I first joined that. So the advice that I tend to give new submissives who I do get quite a few people contacting me on fat life is to go slow, like unbelievably slow. And someone who values you and is really interested in creating a dynamic and building a foundation with you is going to meet your pace because you matter. And so does your comfort. And I think I mean, that's one piece of advice that that has really, I think is one that's really important, especially, you know, if you are looking for someone on a place like FetLife, I find that people who are looking to take advantage really aren't patient. So as soon as they see that you're going to make them wait for a while, they tend to move on pretty quickly to the next person. So, but as far as qualities go, it's hard. It's hard for me to say because I'm very much in tune with people's energy. So I don't necessarily know I'm attracted to someone until I've actually met them in person because I I get a feel for for who they are. But it's really about building a relationship like you would with anybody, like whether it's a vanilla, you know, whether it's in vanilla world or in BDSM world, I would say it's the same kind of meeting people, finding out if you have chemistry and then building from there. Well, it occurs to me that there's something extra required in kink, which is all of kink lives in the world of agreement. Yes, And so the ability to make small agreements and see that they're kept because people, if they're not going to keep their word in one place, aren't going to keep their word in another. Yes. And so one way to encounter somebody is to see how they deal with agreements as a way to judge whether or not there might be a good partner naked. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a great piece of advice. And also I like to see how well potentials handle the word no, you know, especially in the beginning. So small little boundaries. And if those are respected, I tend to be able to trust more that my larger boundaries and my larger no's will be respected as well. I get that too. And I remember, you know, you're right. When you first get on FetLife, it's like, oh my goodness, this is a candy store. And I remember getting a lot of pressure quite frankly, from other submissives, like, are you submissive enough? Are you following whatever these rules are? Which all of it's bullshit because a dynamic is created by the two individuals or more than two, but generally we're speaking of a DS. So two individuals coming together and making agreements. There is no recipe like, oh, to be a domestic service sub is requires this, this, and this. It's just the dominant may prefer these things. The submissive may enjoy doing these things. They come to an agreement, and that's what creates the dynamic. And initially, I was drawn in in the wrong direction in the sense of, oh, I have to be all these things, and it became competitive, and it was like, this sucks. This doesn't feel like I'm building anything for relationship. It feels like... I'm on the prowl constantly. And so 
I would say to submissives that you're looking for someone that it, that is for Saffir and I. It's we're two halves that when we come together we create a whole, and it balances us in a way unlike any other relationship has ever done that. Yeah, we like to talk about how we're like a zipper, hmm. and the more time that passes, the more the zipper gets pulled up. Right, we just get closer and closer and more connected and aligned and related over time, you know. And so that's one of the reasons why your writing was interesting to me because when you have a DS dynamic and somebody withdraws and there are a bunch of protocols and conditions there, you know, you spoke to the reality that you know there's risk there that somebody's going to be left unable to fulfill on something. Absolutely. And so I'm just curious, as you deal with your own experience, you know, how did that leave you? Like, what were you left with? I, uh, it was really painful. I have written a piece called Don't Kneel Today and Other Reminders. And I would leave post-it notes on my dresser to remind myself that I didn't need to drop to my knees in the morning to give reverence because whether he was there or not, I did that every day. And even things like that were very difficult to stop because it it felt wrong. I had been doing that every day for so long that it became a part of me and it didn't feel right not to to fulfill it. And so it it was literally day by day, kind of one ritual, one task at a time to try and kind of undo the things that I had been doing that had been become so much a part of what my everyday experience was. I'm actually working on a book right now about this and hoping that it will help other submissives kind of acclimatize or get used to what it's like after a dynamic ends for that reason, because I I, I couldn't find anything anywhere. Kind of my go-to when I'm hurting or um, when I'm struggling with something is to read about it, to try and find information about it. And I really struggled to find anything that talked about the aftermath. And, you know, when you, I really believed in forever, I believed we'd always be together. And that might be naive and idealistic, but I really did believe that. And so even just adjusting to that was hard. But yeah, it, uh, I don't kneel anymore now. It took a long time, but I was able to stop doing that. And my goal is now to heal all the other parts that are still kind of lingering. And continue to process and also take away the parts that were beautiful and still be able to hold on to those because I did learn a ton about myself. We did create some really beautiful memories that I don't want, you know, to kind of brush to the side just because it's over. I get that. You know, we operate with a couple of really foundational principles in our dynamic. And one of them is that there's nothing wrong. Mm. That's the foundational principle. Like ever. Now, there's never anything wrong. So that gives us an avenue to have a conversation about something that comes up. But also it requires us to be responsible that we don't allow space to occur between us. And so we actually are both completely responsible for the dynamic, which is to say, I'm 100% responsible and so is she. Mm-hmm. And that's a commitment. And then the last thing is that we consider each day a new day, like the past doesn't exist. The future has not been written. The only thing that exists is right now, like the present. And so it gives us an opportunity to let go of what the past is. We don't let the past define the future. We create the future newly. And what that's afforded us is an opportunity to be responsible for creating each other. Mm. So we actually live in a 24-7 dynamic, but 
we treat each day like it's a brand new experience of living together like each day. And so, you know, what that's allowed us is to let go of a lot of the stories that we create as human beings about what's right and wrong and about judging and assessing and about looking good. Like we just let go of all of that stuff and we just actually try and be present in the dynamic which affords us a sense of comfort and closeness and relatedness that, you know, neither one of us have, has ever experienced over time. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, to wrap this up, I'm thinking about the way you left that writing. You know, you talked about it's one thing to give up orgasm control, but it's another thing to deal with having given up orgasm control. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of, you know, have a word of caution out there. Mm-hmm. I do. It's not, so, I don't know if it's so much caution as it is. I wanted to provide my experience in the hopes that it would just raise awareness that this could happen because I, you know, and I think I even said in the piece, you know, had someone warned me, you know, ahead of time, by the way, you know, just so you know, orgasm control does have risks and you could become acclimatized to that person and not be able to come without them. I likely would have gone ahead with it anyway to be honest. And I think because I was, you know, really sure about us and felt that, of course, like we'd be together and that won't be an issue. But I still think it's important to put kind of that awareness out there. And that's one of the reasons why I write and, you know, not just erotica, but one of the reasons why I write a lot about my experiences and what I've learned along the way is my hope that it might just help somebody else not only raise awareness, but also feel less alone in it. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, totally. Well, Glass Girl, I appreciate you coming on the pod and sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm going to encourage people to read your writing. I've read some of your writing and it's pretty good stuff. So people should read your writing. (laughs) Thank you. And you're Glass Girl on Fet Life. I am, yeah. Anywhere else? Do you have a website or anything else you want to share? Yeah, I have... Uh, website which is glassgirl.co okay good and then my education site that i run with two other people in the lifestyle is called kink101.com and kink is spelled with a y okay so talk a little bit about that before we let you go absolutely kink 101 has been uh, we launched last spring so coming up not quite a year yet and the goal of that is to provide introductory bdsm and kink education online, completely free, accessible to everybody. We have a section of articles which are written on a various introductory kink topics, everything from risk mitigation guides to, you know, what is BDSM? What is a submissive? What is a master? Those types of things. And then we also have a journal portion where people can send us their personal experiences in like a writing. And then we share that so that you can read an article about, you know, about a kink. And then you can also look at a personal experience of someone talking about what they've learned from that. Got it. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. It was great talking with you both. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers!